This programme was first broadcast on Otago Access Radio and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Well, the New Zealand International Film Festival this year screens here in Dunedin from August 4th to the 21st. Always uh, presents a wonderful opportunity to indulge your passion for film. The uh, festival programme launched in Dunedin yesterday evening looks as enticing as ever. And here to tell us more about what we can expect this year is is festival director Bill Gosden. Thanks for joining us. Good to talk with you again, Bill. Good morning, Jeff. Bill, it's 40th year, it's 40th iteration in some way. That's um, what does that mean to you? Um, it's um, I find it quite staggering because I've been involved for the greater <laughs> number of those 40 years, and I can't believe um, how quickly that's happened and how much things have changed too. I mean, um, things really stabilised uh, for the festival once we moved in to the embassy uh, into the um, into the regent. Um, which is, I think that's getting on for, what, t- over 20 years ago now. Mm, right. Um, before that, I think we occupied so many cinemas in Dunedin that simply aren't standing any longer. Um, but the Film Festival Trust, um, which was set up in 1996, I think has kind of stabilised things a lot for the festival. Um, and the biggest change since then has been a change that the whole world of Film exhibition has um, has undergone in the last five years, really, and that's that massive shift to digital, which mm. has really made a big difference to what we can do. And the most obvious difference it's made um, for festival goers in Dunedin is that we're able to screen films that are absolutely brand new. Because uh, even five years ago, films that had debuted at the Cannes Film Festival in May might exist only in two or three thirty-five mil prints. Um, now those digital files are endlessly um, du- duplicated, um, so it's possible if you can negotiate the film, it's technically um, possible to show almost anything now at rather short notice. And I think that's um, has a very exciting impact for what we're doing, bringing some of the newest films in the world to so, screen in Dunedin right now. Yeah, well, a changing landscape. Um, as you mentioned, and I'm not sure whether this was tongue-in-cheek or not, Bill, at uh, yesterday evening's opening, that you had initially been looking to reduce the number of films in the festival programme, but then Cannes came along and put pay to all of that. Yeah, that's um, it's, it's true, I'm afraid. I had hoped to make the programme a bit smaller because I know how frustrating it is if there's a film that's only screening a couple of times, particularly the films um, which we're screening at the Rialto, where we have limited capacity. I mean, we've only ever sold the Regent out twice in the history of the film festival. It's so huge. Um, but we're selling Rialto screenings out all the time. Um, and by having so many films, we just deprive ourselves of the opportunity to schedule extra screenings of the films that are in demand. So the the film festival program is absolutely cram-packed in um, Dunedin this year. So my only regret about having so many great films was that it denies us that um, flexibility with the, the films that sell out the Rialto. So all I can say is if you see something in the Rialto you'd like to, that you are really um, heart set on seeing, then I recommend booking, overcoming the Dunedin reluctance to book. The world strand of films this year takes in films from 19 countries. Uh, you've been uh, struck by the strength of films, obviously, that have come um, through through Cannes this year, and I suppose uh, others as well. Um, 
And and you mentioned also last night that that kind of, in a way, kind of takes the festival back to its roots, or at least back to what it's best at doing. And yeah, I think the I think the world section of the film festival program quite closely resembles the festival the way it would have looked um, twenty five years ago, um, where it simply consisted of a survey of the latest and best of international cinema from as many countries as possible. So that's a real core activity for us, um, to which we um, still adhere. But the thing that has changed quite a lot since then is the significance of the festival as a premier platform for New Zealand filmmakers. And the New Zealand section in the program this year is very strong. Um, We're very excited about opening the program um, with Poye, um, which is... Uh, amusingly enough, directed by one of the trustees of the New Zealand International Film Festival. Um, but um, I think the moment anybody sees that film, they'll know there was no conflict of um, interest involved there at all. The film is completely irresistible. It's a documentary tracing all the many tributaries that flowed into the um, into that great um, song that uh, that. Uh, took the nation by storm in 1984 and really hasn't left us alone ever since. Mm. Um, But, I mean, we have strong New Zealand documentaries as well, um, and those filmmakers are often hard-pressed to find um, a a launch pad for their films without the film festival. I'm thinking of filmmakers like Abby King-Jones and Errol White, who's, um, Errol Wright, sorry, whose film The Fifth Eye is a, a really strong, I think, kind of strongly informative um, activist documentary about surveillance in New Zealand and the um, GCSB um, with a strand running through it, um, tracing the um, actions of the Waihopi Three, those three um, earnest bumblers, as I refer to them <laughs> in the film festival program, who successfully damaged the um, the spy station at Waihopi um, despite all their best efforts, really, an extraordinary story of um, committed sabotage, um, which yeah, runs counter to the, to the kind of official um, presentations. The film is full of public record material of, of politicians of varying colours, um, all defending New Zealand's role in the um, alliance with the Americans. The other New Zealand highlights, I guess you had Lee Tamahori as guest selector for the uh, New Zealand Best Shorts this year. He's come up with an interesting selection. Yeah, he has. He has. I think that's a great program. Um, any Elvis lovers who are listening should definitely see that program too. For, uh, one of its highlights is a short documentary um, about a um, man who, um, I can't remember whereabouts in the North Island he lives. Um, the film culminates in a performance at the Civic Theatre in Auckland, but boy, does this guy sound like Elvis. That that sounds like something I'm going to have to get along to, Bill. Uh, we also see the festival premiering Alison McLean's uh, hotly anticipated ad- adaptation of the Eleanor Catton debut novel, The Rehearsal, as well, Bill. Yeah, that's a that's a terrific film. It's quite kind of electric, quite prickly. It's not a it's not a cuddly film at all. Um, I don't know if you've read the book. I have, um, but it's about. Um, the the dynamic, um, which is not exactly a wholesome dynamic between um, the teachers and the students um, in the setting of a drama school where um, there's one teacher in particular being played in the film by Kerry Fox, 
um, who is um, encouraging these young students to kind of deconstruct themselves before they can construct characters. And they're all young, impressionable, and ambitious. And it maneuvers them into some very dodgy um, moral territory where they're exploiting um, the lives of their friends, um, in particular the central character played by James Rolleston, um, who just becomes more and more interesting every time he appears in a film, I think. Um, he is exploiting a scandal that's engulfed his girlfriend's family um, and using it um, to create material for a drama school production, which is kind of pretty dodgy behavior. Um, fascinating film and um, full of extraordinary young talent rubbing up against these recognized older old school kind of New Zealand actors like Kerry Fox and uh, Miranda Harcourt. The festival always brings us some big must-see movies, ones that you know are going to appeal widely, that people perhaps have been anticipating for a while, and it also brings uh, a significant collection of smaller films that, um, that perhaps people might just consider dotting into their festival program experience because... Um, Perhaps like the film that was shown in the opening uh, of the or the launching of the program last night, they're little under the radar films that actually are really quite significant. But let's maybe take a look at that first category. If you were to point to say two or three of the the really big movies that you're so happy to have and you know are going to have wide audience appeal, what would you say they would be? Uh, well, first of all, I'd hop to the for all ages section for anybody who's interested in taking you know younger um, film goers to the movies. Um, and to see that there is life outside the kind of Hollywood um, uh, school holiday movies. Um, we have a wonderful film, a documentary about a young Mongolian girl who wants to move into this um, male domain of training eagles to hunt. The film's called The Eagle Huntress, and I think that's a film with enormous ap- ap- appeal and one that people can definitely take kids to older kids perhaps because i mean the eagle is after all hunting <laughs> it is hunting um but that's a terrifically exciting piece of work um in the front of the program we do try to list um the films that we think fall into that category that you described of the big kind of unmissable films for the year um i'm very very taken with the ken loach film which won the palm door for best film at the Cannes film festival it's called I, Daniel Blake, and it's the story of a carpenter who's in his mid-50s, I think. Um, he's had a heart attack. He's been laid off work, um, and he's at the at the mercy of a British social welfare, welfare system, which has largely been privatized. So it's about the experience of an ordinary guy. He teams up with a younger woman who he meets um, waiting for her meeting. Um, about her own benefit. Um, and the two of them are just completely at the mercy of this totally heartless corporate social welfare system. And I think it's something that almost anybody can relate to these days. Um, if you're at the mercy of the health system, or even if you're trying to get through 
to the bank on mm. the phone. <laughs> it's um, so vividly dramatized in this film, and the film has got a real anger about it, which leaves an audience, I think, feeling very fired up. And I was very impressed that the jury at um, Cannes did decide to give this film the prize because they obviously recognized a film that um, had such vital relevance. Um, another film that's in the same section is a Brazilian film which I have not yet seen myself, which my colleague uh, Sandra Reed saw in the Cannes Film Festival. And to me, it seems like something that's going to have a similar kind of appeal. And it's about an older woman who is trying to resist the um, pressure of property developers who want to take over the apartment in which she has spent a very full and happy life. Um, she's retired and she's quite happy to spend the rest of her days in this place, but there are others with different plans. And she becomes finds herself under enormous pressure, particularly from the other um, apartment owners. So it's a film about the indiv- individual kind, an individual's sense of herself being so challenged by economic forces. And I think it's just so clear that um, so much of the world faces this kind of situation at the moment. The reason I'm particularly excited about this film is, quite apart from Sandra's enthusiasm for it and all the other critics at the Cannes Film Festival who liked it a great deal, is that the filmmaker, uh, Kleber Mendonca Filho, um, made a wonderful film which we showed a couple of years ago called Neighbouring Sounds. And he visited the festival in Wellington and um, he was just one of the most fascinating, um, lovely men I've ever met. Mm. So um, to see this film, um, I, I'm, it's something I'm, I'm looking forward to very much. What about at the other end of the spectrum? Some of those ones that, uh, that are, are sprinkled into the program just because they are little gems, little nuggets. Um, there's a documentary that... Um, I liked enormously in the portrait of an artist section of the festival called Camera Person. Um, I think these days we're all camera people to some um, to some degree. I mean, what is it? It's um, it's not ten o'clock in the morning. I've already taken five photographs myself today, <laughs> um, and I don't think that's all that unusual. Um, this film was made by a woman who's worked as the camera person on a number of quite major documentaries um, for, well, for example, Fahrenheit 9-11, which is one of the films, incidentally, that did sell out at the Regent, Um, and uh, Citizen Four, um, a lot of quite political documentaries that she shot. Um, And she's taken footage, often offcuts from films she's made, and strung them together into a kind of album of her work and of the places she's been. And as you watch it, you realize that there's a sense of a kind of compassionate eye um, behind the camera. Um, And then she moves into other territories, like absorbing some of her own family movies. Um, She has these delightful twins, um, her her children, Um, her father, who's um, quite elderly. So she's... And then you... You you start thinking about the fact it's the same eye that's photographing um, children in Bosnia as is photographing her own children who are living a fairly privileged life in New York. And the questions the film raises about the moral responsibility um, and all the ethical questions around um, photography 
are very understated, but they're very there and impossible to ignore. I think it's an enormously satisfying and um, and provocative film too. It's definitely one of those films you could easily miss in the program, which I think is um, shouldn't be missed at all. What about uh, music this year, Bill? Any uh, particular artist profiles and films that are music-related that you're excited to bring into the program? I think um, the one that's likely to find huge support is Barbara Koppel's film about Sharon Jones. Um, I mean, Sharon Jones is such a force of nature, um, but she was, I mean, she's one of those musicians whose career has happened quite late in life. Um, she was told, she re- tells a terrible story in the, in the film about how she was told at quite a young age that um, she was too short and um, too black to ever, to ever succeed. Um, and in the film, she's, we meet her as she's been thrown yet another challenge in her path, and that is um, cancer. So she's under, undergoing um, treatment um, during the course of the film, and the film ends um, with um, her, her return to the stage. Um, but she's, she's irresistible. Um, she's, she's really quite something. And, of course, um, the music is great too. Anybody with an appetite for the R&B is going to be very... Very happy that we're showing Miss Sharon Jones and at the Regent, of course, where it's going to sound fabulous. But we've only had a, a chance to graze really through the program, but the program is out now. It is also online as of this morning as well. So these are sprinkled all around the cafes uh, uh, and libraries and things across the city. Do get your hands on a program and start planning your festival. It's not that far away. 4th to the 21st uh, of August here in Dunedin. And there are some screenings in Gore also between the 11th and the 21st of August. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for coming. Uh, as, as always, you'd uh, invite us people to, to make use of things like the five trip passes and things like that to plan their experience. Get onto it now and look at some of those screens, particularly at the Rialto. Of, of the, uh, you don't want to miss out on something that you really want to see. Exactly. Thanks for joining us, Bill, and all the very best for uh, the festival for this year. Thanks for your support. This program was first broadcast on Otago Access Radio and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.